Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Last week we talked about something you may not have noticed about a scripture. Uh, We studied something called a Roman triumph, where it is the greatest celebration for a military conquest, where they, in honor of that military commander, they, they give a Roman triumph, which is one of the most celebrated things that you could do. You may see one in your whole lifetime. And I was talking about how that's like a ticker tape parade for World War II, you know, would be very similar to that. It's very rare. And so we talked last week about the triumph of Christ, how he triumphed over all principalities. And so that's in last week's message. Well, this week, I equally want to show you something about a scripture here that you maybe haven't noticed, something you've read over and over, and maybe something that you haven't noticed in this scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. So follow me here. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless this word, Lord. Speak your truth. Hide me, Lord. Hide any worldly wisdom, Lord. Wisdom of men, Lord. We need heavenly wisdom, Lord. Godly wisdom, Lord. Holy Spirit, we need you to change us, transform us. Let your minister be like a flame of fire, Lord God, today. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Title of my message is, No Pain, No Gain. No Pain, No Gain. Uh, When you read this scripture here, there's one word here that's pivotal to this verse that if it were interpreted differently would really almost change our perception dramatically of what Paul is saying here. And that word is where he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That, that word race there, that he's asking us to run with endurance, um, and it's set before all of us, that word is actually a Greek word that is agwan or agone, or where we get our word, Agony. So I want you to begin to think about this for a second. I'm going to get into this word, but now let's read it again. Let us run with endurance the agony that is set before us. See, I I had pictured just a, a race, you know. In my mind, I was thinking the Olympics. 
In my mind, I was thinking, you know, just a race, a good, healthy competition. But now you're telling me that word is agony. And he's saying, with endurance, run the agony that is set before you. And see, what we're supposed to do when we read the Word of God is adequately prepare us for life. And sometimes what we get, in fact, when John the Baptist came and preached, he said, Jesus said, what did you expect to see? Did you expect to see a fragile reed that would be broken? Or did you expect a real message? And the Word of God is supposed to adequately prepare us to live this life with endurance. It's not meant to be sugar-coated. It's not meant to hide all the difficulties. It's not meant to cover up all the things that we think are, man, I don't know if they can accept that. Sometimes the Word of God is Brussels sprouts, and it's good for your soul. And, oh, man, I'm getting hungry now. I like them Brussels sprouts. And sometimes the Word of God is just good for you. It'll make you strong, and it'll make you have endurance to get through the hard things in life. And uh, Paul, before I get into the word agony, which is the center of my message and the center of what he's asking us to have endurance for, let's first of all think about what Paul is beginning to say here. In Hebrews chapter 12, he is addressing a group of people, the Hebrew Christians that are in Rome, are about to go through really a difficult time. And he's writing this letter, and I believe Paul wrote it. There's debate on who did or who didn't. I always, make, I always assume Paul did myself. So I, I inject that in my messages. I apologize if you're not from that camp. But I believe that he writes it anonymously because even to know that he wrote it is kind of dangerous. And they may not even listen as well. And so he's writing this letter to a group of people that they're about to go through a lot. And they've been through a lot. And so he writes in the previous chapter what we call the Hall of Faith. What we call the, uh, the examples of all the people of old who are faithful to God. You know, it talks about all the different acts of faith all through the Scriptures. It talks about Abraham. It talks about Isaac. It talks about Jacob. It talks about Moses. It talks about... Uh, all the different people all through history who were faithful people. In fact, Hebrews is kind of a part of a trilogy of books because uh, Habakkuk says the just will live by faith. And those three books kind of identify that phrase that they quoted in, from Habakkuk. And um, when you begin to read Romans, he says the just shall live by faith. And Paul begins to explain who the just are. Because we don't know who the just are. What does it mean for me to be right with God and to be called a Christian? Well, in the book of Romans, he begins to explain the first part of the phrase, the just. And then in Galatians, he quotes the same phrase, the just shall live by faith. And Galatians is primarily trying to tell us how do the just live? The fruit of the Spirit, he begins to talk about. He begins to talk about the manifestation of how the Spirit lives through the just. 
And then Hebrews is kind of the, the capstone on that phrase. We know who the just are now. We know how they're supposed to live. Now Hebrews is, what is faith? What is the faith that the just have that flows through their life? And so he begins to, in 11, explain how the faithful acted. And as you begin to see, they all went through severe testing. They all had faith through very difficult circumstances. And they all prevailed through their faith. They all went through, if you will, a measure of agony. And he's trying to give examples of if you're a person of faith and you have the real thing in your life, this is what it's going to look like. You're going to endure some things. Church, do you hear me? Because sometimes when we listen to a message, we separate our personal life from the message the person's given. And what I'm saying is if you have the real thing, you have this real faith inside of you and it's in operation you're going to go through some things through faith and you're going to endure. And it's a requirement for faith that I endure through very difficult circumstances and remain faithful to God. And so in chapter 12 of Hebrews, he's already given the examples of all the people that had faith and what it looks like in their life. And now in Hebrews chapter 12... He's beginning to tell us, he's beginning to tell us, how do we do it now? We just gave you an example of what they did. So now all those faithful people we talked about, they're all watching. He says there's a cloud of witnesses. And if you look at the story or the visual that Paul's trying to give, Paul's trying to give a vision of the athletic events that thousands and thousands of people would come watch a race. And so he's saying, those who are in attendance are these people of faith that I just talked about. And how many know that you have people of faith that are watching our faith? You have people that are living, you have people that have moved on, you have people that are celebrating every act of faith that we do, there's a great cloud of witnesses and they're witnessing our faithfulness or our lack thereof. And so he goes on and he says, therefore, since there's such a great cloud of witness surrounding us, let us lay aside every single weight. And you say, well, wait a minute, man. I can't serve the Lord because that old devil, every demonic force in the world is stopping me. And see, it would be really nice if he stopped there and he said, hey, you can't do this on your own. But he's asking us through the Holy Spirit, lay it aside. He's not saying it has to be sin. He's saying there's weight. And that weight is inhibiting you from reaching the goal of the Scripture. And the goal is the finish line. He's talking about persevering and crossing the finish line. And what he's saying is we need to lay aside 
anything and everything that's going to stop us from finishing the race through faith. Lay it aside. And it's just like he has a vision of a runner. Now, how many runners do you think would go to the Olympics and wear their backpack? How many would go to the Olympics and wear a trench coat in the sprints? How many would go run in a marathon and have ankle weights? And what he's saying is, if the athletes do everything they can to run the race well, and there's all these people, can you imagine all the people shouting your name and saying, win the gold? All your nation is behind you. Everybody's cheering for you. Everybody's hoping that you win. And you come in with ankle weights. It kind of defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? So Paul is saying, let's examine our lives and let's make sure anything that is weighty in our life that's holding us back and let the Holy Spirit just begin to tell you, man, what is it that's holding me back? Because my number one goal in life has to be to make it to the finish line in faith. Like I'm not going to stop. I'm going to endure until I get there and everything else is secondary in this world. Success financially is secondary. Even our relationships are secondary. The goal is to get to that finish line by faith and make it to the end. The reward. And so he goes on and he says, Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the agony that is set before us. Now wait a minute on the agony still. The race that is set before me. How many know that they set the race up and depending on what race you're on, it's set up a certain way and it's meant to be ran a certain way. If I'm in the steeplechase, I believe that's when we jump the walls, right? And I run around all of the obstacles and cross the finish line and run through the center of the oval, across the grass, show up on the finish line and finish. I'm not running the race that was set before me. If I am a uh, hurdler and I plow through all the hurdles, which I'm apt to do, because I'm more built to plow them all down than I am to leap like an antelope over them. Somebody say amen. That's insulting. You don't know that I couldn't be an antelope. I may be fleet of feet. (laughs) All right. But how many know that there is a race set before all of us? And God knows the race that He has set before each one of us. And how, how many know everybody has a different race? And God wants us to run the race well. And we've all got one set out for us, and God wants us to endure to the end. And get this, God knows that we are able to endure to the end because He set the race up. What good would a race be in the Olympics that nobody can finish? Like, no, those steeple walls are 50 foot high. Who set this up? We can't get over a 50 foot wall. Those hurdles are over my head. That's higher than a high jumper can jump. How am I going to finish this race? God doesn't do that. 
God gives us a race that is set before us that we can endure and we can finish through faith. Only through faith. And that's what he's saying here. So he begins to say the agony that is set before you. In fact, Paul really likes this word. This word um, literally means, if you look it up in Strong's, it says, grueling, conflict, fight, positive struggle, literally, struggle or the good struggle, or the fight of faith. Uh, As in an athletic contest, a struggle for your soul. That's something. Paul uses it in Philippians 1.30, the same word, when he says, since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had, and now here that I still have, that word struggle is agony. Paul says, you're going through the same agony that I'm going through and still going through, and you're watching me go through it. Okay? Now, don't, I don't want to lose you here. I don't want you to say, yuck, agony. I don't want it. And a lot of people will say that. And they'll turn away and they'll say, it's too hard, Pastor. I, I don't want to go through agony. But how many know everybody... In this world, the Bible says all of creation is groaning with what we've been subjected to. And then he goes on in Colossians 2.1 and he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. That word contending is the same word agony. I want you to know the agony I'm going through so everybody will hear the gospel. Paul again uses the word. He likes this word. First Thessalonians 2.2, he says, we previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. Uh, That's the word agony, and that's where he was actually put in stocks, wooden stocks on his feet and locked in a a very small little cell underneath almost like a cave like, and he was treated outrageously. But it's the word agony again. First Timothy 6.12, fight The good fight of faith take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. How many know fight the good fight is agony? Agonize over the good agonizing. Paul likes the word. 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought the good agonizing and I have finished the agonizing. (laughs) Paul likes this word. And you say, well, wait a minute. Is there ever a positive agony? And I want you to begin to think about it. Well, look at my title. No pain, no gain. Well, there's one. If you're involved in weightlifting, how many know that if you're eager and you do it joyfully and you know what the results will be? How many know that you will really enjoy and you will embrace the agony? I mean, you see guys that are really, they understand the reward, they understand the payoff, and man, how hard will they agonize to get that little bicep to pop up? 
that little horseshoe to pop up in the back. Get those shoulders to start filling out a little bit. How many understand that that's agonizing? In fact, I should have called it no agony, no gain, but it didn't rhyme. So a preacher can't use it if it doesn't rhyme. It's more spiritual. So, But I go with no pain, no gain. But how many understand in that context that agonizing is good and you can actually embrace it with joy? How many know that there is agony in your workplace? Now you can embrace it with joy because you understand the reward and the payoff. The reward and the payoff is, and this isn't as exciting, but I get to live in my house, I get to have groceries, I get to pay my bills, I am going to put myself through agony, whatever they tell me to do, because I have a reward. See, we live this out every day. Uh, yesterday, I was out at, uh, where's Chaz at? I was out at, where's Chaz? Oh, there he is, yeah. I was at Chaz's house. And we were, we were lifting thick logs all day long. Heavy logs, you know, loading up trailers for hours and hours and hours. Now, I do it, I agonize through that and have difficulty walking. You know, I do it regularly, so it's not, but I have difficulty walking, I'm agonizing. But do you understand in my mind, my reward is, I only heat my house with wood. So my reward is, by agonizing, that I get heat during the winter and my family has a warm house. Now, my boys have the same reward, but they also understand if I lift these logs all day, I'm going to have more muscles. And so they have two rewards. I could care less if I have muscles, but they want to help dad. They want the house to be warm, but they also understand it's a great conditioning thing. Now Braxton doesn't care about the muscles, probably. Doesn't care about heating my house, probably. But he just likes getting outside and enjoys it with joy. So all of us have a different reward, but we were all there doing the agony for some particular reward. And so, but then we get to the Christian life. And we're like, that makes no sense. Agony in the Christian life? You understand how we shut the logic completely off? And we say it makes no sense for the Christian life, but it makes total sense for everything else. And what God is saying is, there is a reward at the end. And, and the Bible says you must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And in order for you to have faith, the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So my faith is the substance, meaning it's the material of everything I hope for. All of my faith is based on what? Hope. And so hope is the finish line is what Paul's saying. And Paul is saying all hope is the finish line. And it's the evidence of things not seen. In fact, my 40-hour week, the evidence of things not seen is, I work 40 hours, that's my 40-hour paycheck. 
And all week long, you labor and agonize to get that 40 or 50 hours worth of pay. Do you understand? And the Bible is saying if you're going to have real faith like these people in the Bible had, you're going to have to learn to agonize based on hope. You're going to, in fact, uh, if, I, if I were a sprinter, okay, now I want you to imagine. I know it's difficult, but we like to imagine. I'm a sprinter. At no point in a 100-meter dash, even me, at no point do I stop in the middle of that 100 meters and say it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. I, even me, I can run 100 meters and never say to myself, I've got doubts. It's just too far. I'm really second guessing finishing this race. Sprinters don't do it. They don't even, their, their training's not even the same. But how many know if you're in an endurance race? Many times in an endurance race do you say, why am I even doing this? Why should I even move forward? Man, my legs are heavy. Man, my heart's beating fast. Man, I'm breathing so heavy. Why am I even doing this? And an endurance race is what he uses here. Because during an endurance race, you get weary. During an endurance race, your hands get heavy. During an endurance race, you doubt what you're even doing. Church, can I tell you it's the same thing with faith? You're going to go through seasons. Hello? And you're going to stop and you're going to say to yourself, Why am I even trusting the Lord? Why am I still walking with Him? Why am I still doing this when other people aren't? Why am I still devoted to, to the Lord? How many know that this happens quite often? In fact, I can tell you personally, my truck has broke down six times, I think, in the last three, month, three weeks. It's just one of those deals. It's, uh, I think it's with a relay or something. It'll run for a day or two, and then it'll stop. And finally, Friday, I pushed it probably a quarter of a mile and steered it to get it to a mechanic where I, I broke down, you know, about that distance from a mechanic, and I was pushing that thing. My legs were so sore, and you get weary, and then my wife's car has been breaking down, and she's got it in the shop to get it fixed, and so we almost didn't have anything to drive, um, there was a death in the family. Uh, all these different things compile on each other. And, and you know what's really amazing? We all have the same stories. Right now, all of us. All of us are running the agony that's set before us. And if I sugarcoat this thing and I say, it doesn't matter what you go... I want to be the smiling preacher for a minute. Beloved, God's going to answer every prayer. No matter what you go through, you ask God and He's just going to fix it. And you're going to ride to heaven on a cloud. It's going to be so easy, you just tell the Lord. Every time you're sick, He's going to heal you. Now, I believe the Lord heals. But do you understand Paul is saying, you're going through the agony that is set before you. And if you understand that, you'll have endurance. But if you think that because I'm serving the Lord, 
Every single thing is going to be answered every time I throw a penny in the well. Then it's going to be hard to endure. Have you ever seen the guy that runs the marathon like it's a sprint? And he's like, look at me, I'm in the lead. How many have ever seen that? Runs as fast as he can, he's out in the lead, and he's like, look at me. And then all of a sudden, all the great Kenyan runners gracefully fly by. But he led for about 200 meters. And so it's really important to understand what kind of race am I in. If you take off running really fast and think you're in a sprint and think everything's going to be easy, and and here's the thing, I don't know how long the race is going to be. It could be two more months. God knows He laid it out. It could be two years. It could be 20 years. It could be 50 years. We don't know, but God said that we can have endurance. In fact, this word endurance is another very interesting word. In the Greek, the word endurance means, it does not mean, it's, it's the word hupomone. It does not mean the patience which sits down and accepts things. It's not passive patience. It means the patience which masters what is before it. It is a determination. It's not in a hurry. It does not delay. It goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected. Now I want you to think of that runner who's in that endurance race. What would happen if he just stopped and he said, you know what, I'm in the Tour de France. Or should I say France? What is more respectable? France, okay. I don't feel right saying that. So, yeah. But um, let's say that he gets to that mountain leg. How many have ever watched it? You get to that mountain leg and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to passively wait for this mountain to pass. And how many know some of us do that with the course that God set before us? We say, I'm just going to passively let this pass. And if God doesn't remove it, I sure ain't going over it. And what God is saying is, be the type of person. In fact, remember I talked about that... um, Agony about work. You can find somebody who really wants to reach their reward, which is make enough money to pay. Maybe they're saving up for vacation. And so in their mind, the reward is all they're thinking about. They're not thinking about the agony. So they're like, anybody want overtime? And they're like, me! You're like, you're crazy, man. That's agony. It's like, no, it isn't. I'm going on vacation. And I want all the overtime I can get, and they joyfully submit to the overtime. And then you go to the weight room, and you got those guys that are like, well, well they, I know the boys, they have a list that the computer puts out every time they lift, and everybody in the school that plays sports required to lift. They get that printout, and some of the kids are like, and you've seen them, haven't you? They try to cheat all the time. And they look at that list, and they say, man, I'm not going to, I don't want to do that. It's too hard. You know, we got to deadlift or we got to do the um oh what's the uh what's the special things they do that you're talking yeah crossfit they have to carry kettlebells and and and, all, and there's a lot of kids that are like this is so dumb why are we even doing this and i don't want to do it because the agony is too great for them 
But there are some kids that say, I want the gain. I want to cardiovascularly get in better shape. I want to build my body up. I want to get stronger. I want to get better. I want to get faster. And look at this. They joyfully submit. They're the most eager to get in the weight room. They're the most eager to get to work. They're the most eager to do things because they have the reward in front of them. And they're working for the reward, not the agony. And he's saying, look at all these examples of people of faith. Look at everything they did. They all went through the agony. Why, church? Because of the reward that's set in front of them. And he's trying to tell us to endure through faith. And you say, well, man, what's that look like? How do I, how do I grow endurance? We were just talking about this yesterday. Endurance. How do I get better at endurance? How do I grow in that area of enduring in faith? I like the way that James says it. Submit yourselves to God. Joyfully submit myself to God. And you say, well, what's He going to do to me? I can remember this week, I was like, there was a point this week where I was so tired from pushing that truck so far, and then go home and work for hours and hours and hours and not get much sleep. And there was a point literally I couldn't hardly lift my arms up. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, would I consider giving up? And the same answer always comes to me. I have nowhere else to go. The disciples, he said, are, he said, are you going to leave too? And they said, there's nowhere else to go. We're dedicated, we're committed to you, Lord. And there was nowhere to go. And, and, and I always get to that place where life feels like it gives me too much agony. How many have ever been there? Be honest. Can we be honest in church? We don't allow masks here. This isn't a... Dress-up party, okay? No masks. How many have been through agony? Because if you haven't, get ready. You're about to go through it. Life is agony. The whole creation is groaning. And the whole creation is saying, God, we want it the way you want it to be, Lord. This isn't what you created. This isn't what you prepared. And God wants people that joyfully go through the agony. Like that weightlifter. Like that worker. Like that person that has a reward in front of them, they joyfully submit their self to God. You say, well, what's that look like? I'm glad you asked. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what's happened in church, and I want you to really listen to this carefully. This is the application. This is where we put it into practice. When you, get, when you go through the agony, you're going to have a reaction. You're going to think to yourself, God, I'm not going to serve you. Why should I do this, God? You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't do this. And you're saying, man, what an awful hypocrite you are, Chad, for even assuming that. Because I'm probably the only one in here that's ever said that, right? God, you didn't answer this. You didn't do what I wanted here. You didn't do what I wanted there. That's the agony, church. The agony is that sometimes God doesn't do what we want Him to do. Sometimes God doesn't act the way we want God to act. 
Sometimes God doesn't do what's in our mind. He does what's in His mind. And sometimes the world can be an agony. It can be a living hell sometimes, church. It can be hard. It can be difficult. And you say to yourself, God, you've got everything. Why don't you help me? And God is saying, I'm trying to produce something in you. I'm trying to grow something in you. I'm trying to make you what you need to be. The only time I'll ever find true faith is if you've been through the agony. And church, the only one that receives the prize, the only one that endures to the end is the one who goes through the agony. You gotta bleed a little bit, you gotta sweat a little bit, you gotta get in there and keep following the Lord through everything. And he says, I will reward those who diligently seek me. But here's what happens. We keep going through the cycle. And the cycle is this. We keep going around this mountain. You did me wrong, God. I'm mad. Serve the Lord, serve the Lord, serve the Lord, serve the Lord. You did me wrong, God. I'm mad. Circle the mountain again. Faith, 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 faith. Does it remind you of any group of people? They wandered in the wilderness, no water. Why didn't you give us water, Lord? You brought us out here to die. No, I brought you out here because I love you and I want to produce faith in you. Do you believe I can give you water? But God, we're we're dying of thirst. They turned their back on God. No food. God's like, I could bring a million quail right now. Right, right. Every time... They would submit, reject, submit, reject. What God is saying is, let's start allowing the Spirit to flow through us and grow fruit in us through the agony. Here's what it means. Let me go through the list here. Love. Because this is the first one I'll hit you. It's the most important one. When I'm mad at God and I'm going through the agony, guess what you and I do? God only asks for two things. Love God with all of your heart and love your fellow man, your neighbor as yourself. What do I do when I'm going through agony? Complain. Bob knows me really well. (laughs) You're speaking for all of us. (laughs) But here's what we do, church. We get mad. And we don't love people through our agony. And God is saying, if you really want the fruit to grow in you, you say, well, man, I'll do it really well if you give me a nice house and a nice job. And, and every time I pray something and flick the penny in the well, everything goes well. Then I would be the most loving person you would ever find. And what God is saying is, agonize through this leg of the race and you'll bear real fruit. It's not real fruit if He keeps blessing you. Right? You're just doing it because He blessed you. It's real fruit is nothing's going right today. My truck broke down. My car broke down. I have no money in the bank. Nothing's going well for me. Nobody likes me. But God, I'm still going to love you and I'm still going to love people. If somebody needs help... I'm going to give them my ear and I'm going to give them my love and you don't have to do a single thing for me, God. And man, fruit begins to grow. You say, no, 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 I'm mad, man. I'm not going to church Sunday. 
I'm not all the things I was trying to do to please God. I'm not doing it now because I'm mad at God. Some of you are looking at me like you're coming too close to home. Peace. Oh, joy. Let me get the joy. I miss joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. It's easy to rejoice when things are going our way. It's a different story when life is hard, but followers of Jesus are called to have joy all the time, not just when it's good. The world has a joy and the world has a happiness, but it's not the same one. It's circumstances. Circumstances are their joy. One of the keys to being joyful is knowing why we rejoice. You say, well, that's easy, Pastor. We rejoice because of our jobs. We rejoice because of our homes. We rejoice because of our relationships. We rejoice because of all these wonderful things we have. Well, that's why you don't have real joy. You say, we're not supposed to be happy and thankful about that? Yeah, but those are circumstances and those are things. I just read the scripture and you missed it. It says, rejoice in the Lord. If my focus is in the Lord, my focus is on that reward, my focus is on that hope, my focus is on that finish line, how are you going to take my joy away? Chad, you're homeless. Okay, I'm homeless, but I'm going to be the richest man in the world here in a few years. I don't know. You might not live very long, Chad. Well, I'm closer than you. I'm almost to the finish line, and you're not. Church, can you understand the difference? Hallelujah. Your joy is in the Lord. If it's not in the Lord, it's false joy. And it'll be taken away as soon as your circumstances change. And some of us are living in fear that our circumstances are going to change, and we don't have joy even when we have good things. Because we don't have the right kind of joy. Peace. I have said these things to you, John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that you, in me you may have peace. Peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus spoke these words. Spoke these words a thousand years ago. And we still haven't got the message. How many know that we live in a world that's full of worry, anxiety, fear, stress, and that's all the world. None of that ever comes in here. Because we have the peace of the Lord, right? Hmm. Church, God wants us to give, He wants to give us peace, real peace. You say, well, man, I'll have peace when my bank account gets to this amount. I'll have peace when my health gets to this diagnosis. I'll have peace whenever, and insert whatever you want to put there, I get my degree, I get married, I get all these things, I'll have peace. And God's saying have peace now. How do you have peace? Well, peace is also in the Lord. He's the Prince of Peace. When you have the Lord, how can I be stressed? And you know what? When I was going through things this week and doubting and thinking, man, what about my endurance? 
I just kept thinking to myself, peace just kept coming over me. Like, you don't know, have you ever been there? I, don't, I have no idea where the money will come from. I have no idea how I'm going to even get somewhere. I don't know how I'm going to solve this problem. But how many have ever just given it to the Lord and said, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about it. And the peace of God, real peace, comes upon you. And God wants us to live in that peace. You say, well, man, Chad, you don't know about my marriage. You don't know about my job. You don't know about how difficult my life is right now. Church, I've been pinned in places where I knew that I would be there for maybe 10 years. And I couldn't get out of the city. I was hemmed in. God intentionally hemmed me in where I couldn't move. You say, well, that's really cruel. (laughs) It is, by the way. But do you know why God did that? He wants to teach me how to live in peace. Peace beyond my mental mind. Beyond my understanding. Beyond my ability to comprehend. Beyond my ability to solve the problem. You say, well, God put me in a position. I can't even solve this problem. Why would God do that? He said, I want to give you peace that passes your understanding. And so he puts you in a position where your understanding can't solve it and there's no solution to the problem. And so now I've got to depend on the one thing I should have anyway, and that's peace. Peace that comes from God's presence. Peace that comes from being with God. The Prince of Peace in my life and a part of my life and making me... He's got, he's got to come in my heart, get this, He's got to come in my heart and say, Peace, be still. And the storm stops. You say, well, man, the circumstance didn't go away. The circumstance doesn't rule my heart. Peace rules my heart. Hallelujah. I should stop here when we keep going. Patience. Ouch. See, we don't understand this one. We don't understand this one because the word in some translations, they don't use, they don't use patience, they use long-suffering. God wants to produce in you long-suffering. No, no, say patience. That sounds better. That's a euphemism. Use use euphemisms. That's what we prefer. No, we don't. We want the real thing, don't we? God wants to produce long-suffering in you. You know what long-suffering is in the Greek? Suffer long. Like, get really good at it, like where it doesn't, like you're able to do it, and God's able to keep you at peace through it. How many have ever suffered long? If you've suffered long, guess what you don't live with? Fear. Like there's nothing almost I'm afraid of because I've suffered long through about everything. And so I don't have any fears. You know, Job had a lot of fears. The Bible says that everything Job feared came upon him. You know what Job was after that? He didn't fear a thing. Everything that could have came upon him already came upon him and he suffered long. God wants to produce an ability to suffer long. The greatest weightlifters are the ones who suffer long. They're able to get in the gym and just suffer long, right? The greatest workers suffer long. I couldn't get these boys out here to do these logs unless they've learned to work over the years. They learned to suffer long with me. And you know what we call that? Work ethic. How many have ever been with somebody that doesn't have work ethic? But we've suffered long many nights. How many have suffered long and that drink of water tasted like it was gold? How many suffered long and went in and that meal tasted like you hadn't eaten for a month? Some people haven't suffered long enough. 
We need to learn to suffer long and work a little bit. Amen. I just got off my notes. Kindness. Philippians 2.3 says, Count others more significant than yourself and look to the interest of others. Kindness. Oh, that's hard whenever I'm going through agony. Like when the sermon's too long. That's agonizing. I can't be nice to that preacher when he's going long and Grandy's has all that nice greasy chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy and here he's going long. He's going to go through all of the gifts. He's going to go through all the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to eat. That's long-suffering. Hallelujah. I'm just saying what everybody's thinking. But kindness, how many know kindness is difficult when you're being humiliated? I used to go in buildings as the owner of a company that was doing a couple million in revenue, and I had 50 to 70 employees. I'd walk into the company, and you know how nice they treated me? You know how nice the employees treat you when you come in and you're the owner of the company? At one point, I get rid of the whole company, and now I'm pushing a janitor's cart. You know, there's no way to look attractive pushing a janitor's cart. There's two things you can't look attractive on, and that's a moped and a janitor's cart. <laughs> there's no way to dress it up and make it look good in any way. And But you know what? I've learned a lot more about being a Christian pushing a janitor's cart than I did walking as an owner. When you take the expectation, when you walk into a church like Wellspring and you're not trying to be great and you don't care if people think you're great and you don't, think, you don't care if people think you're the best or you don't, you don't care whether people even like you, how many know that's a great place to be? Like I'm never disappointed. I don't need people to like me. I just need to do the Lord's work. And so when God humiliates you, that's the greatest place to be. You say, this is so humiliating. I've got, I've got one dollar left. And so, yeah, give me what on the menu is a dollar, a small french fry. Some of you have been there, right? Open the cabinet, there's nothing in there, no money. How humiliating is that? Well, guess what? That's how you get humility. And humility is like the greatest thing you can have because here's what humility will do. You walk into the sanctuary and you see somebody else going through it and you're full of love and no matter what you're going through, you say, I've been there. How many have ever been there? Humility is one of the greatest things that can ever happen to a Christian because they'll be kind to other people even when things are going well for them. If you've never been humiliated, my prayer is that you will at some point. You say, don't pray that on me, brother. I pray that on you. (laughs) Goodness. Say, aren't they the same thing? Goodness is not the same thing. Goodness is, and here's the thing. When you go through agony, you want to be bad after that. Oh, don't look at me like that. You say, you could have left this part out. How many want to be bad when God doesn't do what I want Him to do? You say to yourself, man, I'm just going to do whatever now because God doesn't answer my prayer. God isn't good. And we start... Turn in the other way. Some of you may not now, but at one time you did. And what God's trying to do is build goodness in us. Character. Like, I'm going to be this way no matter what you do for me, God. I'm going to be this way. That's goodness coming out of you. You don't have to do a thing for me, God. I'm going to be good no matter what. How many know that's goodness? Different than kindness. 
Oh, I'm going to skip down here. I'm going to go to the last one. Self-control. Wow. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Hallelujah. God, through the agonizing times, you say, man, Chad, I'm struggling with this so hard. God wants to give you an ability, but how many know Paul uses the word agony like a boxing match? You might get in that boxing match and you might have a gaping hole over your eye. You might be bleeding down your brow. You might have been beat. You might have been. How many have ever been hit in the solar plexus? One good shot to the solar plexus. And man, you got. It'll drain all your strength out of you. How many have ever been hit with a kidney shot? You'll fall down like like an elevator shaft. You'll just fall down to a heap. That one shot. And here's the thing. Addiction is like that. Addiction will hit you. It'll hit you. It'll hit you. But Paul is saying, go through the agony and win through Christ. You can win. Fight the good fight. Fight the agonizing fight. Fight until you have a victory. Don't just lay down and give up. We're going to fight the good fight until the very last moment because this this race is a race of agony that's been set before us. But guess what, church? We win. We win if we endure. If we stay in our faith with the Lord, we win every single time. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. I'm sorry I went long. What time is it? Am I know? My watch says 9.07. It went dead on me this week because I didn't have my truck. Okay. I got three hours. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Father, I pray that this word would have a lasting impact, Lord. Put it in every heart and every soul, Lord. Father, put it to action. Lord, wrap it up in leather shoes, Lord God, and let them walk it out, Lord. Let it not just be a Sunday message. Let it be a way of life, Lord, that I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to turn my back on God. I'm not going to lose my faith. But I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to be strengthened. I'm going to be full of resolve. And I'm going to live this life to the very end. Put that in hearts, Lord. Hallelujah. Church, this is your time to respond. I'm not going to ask you to come to me because it's not me you're coming to. Find a place at your seat. Find a place at this altar. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, I'm here to pray for you. If you need prayer up here at the front, I'm here to pray for you. You can pray by yourself at your seat. You don't need me to go between you and God. You just need to tell God, no matter what, this was my prayer. I didn't have anybody lead me to the Lord. My prayer was, no matter what, I'm not letting go of your hand, God. It doesn't matter what happens in my life. It doesn't matter if I lose every friend I have. It doesn't matter if everybody turns their back on me, God. I'm never letting go of your hand. I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. That's what I'm asking from you today, church. That's the only faith that's going to stand. I won't turn my back, God, no matter what happens, no matter what agony life brings. I'll serve you to the end. I'll worship you to the end. That's all God wants from us. If we'll do that, we'll be faithful to God. 
to the very end. He'll keep us under his arm. And we can't fail, church. Hallelujah. Find a place to worship before we close. Hallelujah. How many know that the... uh, The agony endured is directly related to how great the celebration is later. In church, we have a lot of things to celebrate on this earth. Our journey, there's a lot of celebratory times. Today, I'm talking about the hard times. I'm talking about the times we don't feel like we're going to make it. Times that we feel like we're struggling. That's what I'm talking about today. But there's a lot of victorious times on this earth. But let me tell you something. When you've gone through agony as an athlete or as a lifter or as a sports team and you've been through a lot together and you've been through things together and we've helped each other down that road and we've made it one day, church, there's going to be a celebration like nothing we've ever seen. The reward that awaits all of us is great. So don't stop. Don't quit pushing. Don't quit moving forward. Don't give up. Don't turn back following the Lord because the reward is great and the loss is great. Hallelujah. We should hear that from every pulpit in America. The loss is great and the reward is much greater. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, Lord, I pray that you pour courage into every heart, encouragement, Lord. Into every heart, Lord God, lift up every head hands that are hanging low, Lord God, I pray that you would raise them up high. Lord, build up your body, Lord God. Strengthen your people. Build them up today, Lord God. Strengthen them with the strength of heaven. Father, make their resolve great, Lord God. Let let their resolve be so great that they'll never leave you, Lord God. They'll cling to you no matter what, Lord. Bless them today as they go, Lord God. Father, I pray that your fruit, Lord God, that they would submit themselves to you and fruit would grow, Lord God. Where it's previously been barren, let it grow, Lord. Pray all these things, Lord God, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah.